the power of identity. I am the power of identity. Now, if you want to put your finger into your Bible, if you brought a physical Bible with you, or if you use your device and you take notes or whatever it is, uh, if you want to go to the book of Acts 13, that's predominantly where I'm going to be preaching from today, uh, but I will take the long way to get there, and I'm going to be using quite a bit of scripture, uh, but that is predominantly where I'm going to be preaching from. Let me adjust, adjust the volume on my mic so I don't blow you out, because uh, I am going to try and preach today, and uh, when I say try and preach, I mean use all my energy in preaching and get louder than I'm talking right now. Um, so the power of identity, and we're talking about <clears throat> several things. First is understanding the power of his identity. He said, I am that I am, and what that means is he says, I'm, I'm everything, i I don't have need of anything. I am self-contained, everything that is needed. And that is true in our lives. God is everything that we need. And whenever Jesus was talking to people, he said, don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing. Don't think and concern yourself with those things, but first, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. And that just simply is confirming exactly what God said, that I am everything. I'm self-contained. I'm everything that you need. And so we're preaching about the power of identity. But the second part of the power of identity is who you are. And I feel like that there is a gap between uh, what the Word of God says, who we are, and our understanding, not always our understanding, but sometimes just in our living there's a gap between those two things. And so we're going to be talking about today overcoming the gap. Overcoming the gap. Overcoming the gap of living God's plan for your life. The first thing we need to understand is who He is. And in the Bible, there are words that refer to God, words that we capitalize and we call names, but the truth is, they are not really his name. There is only one name given, and that name is Jesus. That's the only given name. But there are Hebrew words like Elohim and El Shaddai. Those are two such names. Yahweh, uh, many people consider this, the, the Hebrew national name for God, considered this to be the proper name of God. But in fact, it truly is not. It is what theologians refer to as the Tetragrammaton. Now, if you ever want to impress anybody talking about theology, just break that word out on them, Tetragrammaton. Now, Tetragrammaton, all it means is four letters. That's literally all that it means. But it's these four letters, the yud heh vav heh that represent the name of God if you study into the Scriptures in Hebrew. And those four letters are just simply for us, transliterated, Y-H-W-H. That's all it is. And so that's where we get Yahweh. That's also where we get Jehovah, which is a Latinized version. Yahweh being an assumption of pronunciation, the Latinized version being Jehovah. And so when you read Scripture, different versions in English uh, or whatever language you would be reading in, you'll see Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever the transliteration is in that language. And by pointing this out, I'm in no way disrespecting 
the reference that we have to these names, uh, but when we carefully pay attention to the details, we grasp some profound truths from these names. Throughout the Old Testament, there are other words that have been coupled with Jehovah, and these are what are referred to as compound names of God. They're the compound names of God. And we call them names, but they're not truly properly names. In Genesis 22-14, Jehovah-Jireh just simply means the Lord will provide. I'm going to give you some examples. Exodus 15, 26, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Exodus 17, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Judges 6, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. In Psalm 23, uh, he's referred to as Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd. In Jeremiah 23, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. In Ezekiel 48, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. And each one of these names, and there's more that we could go on with, each one of these tell us who God is. He's the Lord. And then they tell us what he does. He is our peace. He is our banner. He is our shepherd. And while each one gives us insight into the identity of God and what makes him tick and helps us to understand him, they really just build toward revealing his name. The prophet Isaiah pointed toward that name that would be revealed when he wrote in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we know and understand those are not the name, but he was pointing and directing a finger, a God-instructed finger, toward the Son, Jesus Christ, to reveal that name. And so we understand that this is Jesus. And Jesus is not just in the New Testament. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. He is everywhere. He In Genesis, He's the seed of the woman. In 2 Kings, He's the jealous God. In 1 Chronicles, He's our reigning King. 2 Chronicles, He's our deliverer. In Psalms, He's the Lord who is my shepherd. In Ezra, He's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, He's the rebuilder of broken walls. In Esther, He's Mordecai at the gate. In Job, He's my redeemer who lives today. In Proverbs, He's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, He's our true satisfaction. In the Song of Solomon, He's the beautiful bridegroom. And in Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the furnace. In Joel, he's the one who restores. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty judge. And in Jonah, he's the foreign missionary reaching for lost people. In Micah, he's our peace. And in Nahum, he is the avenger in Habakkuk he's the Lord in his holy temple in Zephaniah he's the Lord almighty to save in Haggai he is the Lord of hosts in Zechariah he is the fountain of cleansing in Malachi he's the son of righteousness everything in scripture points toward Jesus Christ why because he is king of kings and lord of lords and all these considered names they just bring us to an understanding of 
of the purpose that God was fulfilling in Jesus Christ when He robed Himself in flesh and manifest Himself in this earth. They were pointing to a single proper name, the name of Jesus. Zechariah 14 and 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. So the name of Jesus, when you say it, you're summarizing all of the attributes of our great God and Savior. Everything, as Colossians 2 and 9, is in Him, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of Godliness, that is the mystery of the Godhead. That is the mystery of God, Emmanuel, God with us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice, He was given. And as the Son has been given, so has His name been given. Jesus was a very common name, but it was attached to a very uncommon person. And it took on new meaning and holds new meaning for us, the name of Jesus Christ. As Peter said in Acts 4 and 12, There is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given. You and I have been given a beautiful thing when we understand the name of Jesus and we understand who He is. When you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling on Jehovah Jireh. You're calling on Jehovah Rapha. You're calling on Jehovah Nisi. You're calling on Jehovah Shammah. Whatever you need in understanding of God, when you call on Jesus, You're calling on what you need because He can fulfill it. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. If our God, our great God, our beautiful God was ever a rescuer, He is still a rescuer. If He was ever a healer, He is still a healer. If He was ever a deliverer, He is still a a deliverer. If he ever sought for the lost, he is still seeking for the lost. He is a saver. He is a shepherd. He is anything else. And then he still is. Everything that he has been, he still is. He does not change. So if you need rescuing, you need Jesus. If you need healing, you need Jesus. If you need deliverance, what you need is you need Jesus. Are you lost? You need Jesus. Do you need saving from your mess in life? Then you need Jesus. If your life is a mess, you just need the good shepherd. You need Jesus. Look at someone across the room from you and tell them, you know what you need? You need Jesus. Just say, you need Jesus. We understand, most of us, understand who He is. But the gap I want to talk about today is not in not understanding who He is. It's in not 
understanding or living up to who he says we are. For most of us here today, our, or if you're watching online, we don't struggle to believe who God is. We have no problem believing God is who he says he is or that he can do what he says he can do. We believe that. We say things like God is great and He is the creator, creator of heaven and earth and He is a healer, He is a miracle worker. But we only know these things about Him because He tells us in His Word. We say Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, but we only know these gospel facts because He told us so in His Word. That's where it always begins. It begins in Him telling us who He is. And for some of us here today, we believe Him based only on what the Word of God tells us. We may not have experienced the miracle yet. We may not have experienced healing yet. Maybe life has been fortunate to us and we've not needed God in some of these ways. And we only recognize that He does certain things because of what He says He can do. But only after we believe what He has told us, there's something that begins to happen. We begin to experience what He intends for us. Because He doesn't just want us to understand Him as being the Prince of Peace. He wants us to experience Him as the Prince of Peace. He wants us to know Him in these different dynamic ways. That's what He intends for every one of us. He promises to those who believe a new birth experience. It's found in John 3, 5-8. through 8. Jesus answered, He's speaking in Nicodemus, He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of water is a reference to baptism in Jesus' name. And being born of the Spirit is a reference to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is intended that every one of us should experience what we refer to as the new birth. John 3.16 goes on, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John 3.16 cannot be taken outside of the context of the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. He has promised a new birth experience to all who believe. Peter confirms what Jesus told Nicodemus in Acts chapter 2 when he asked, what must we do by some of the people? He's asked by them, what do we need to do? But G, uh, the upper, then they saw, sorry I'm getting tongue-tied, when they saw what happened with the 120 in the upper room, they said, what do we need to do? And his answers to them came in Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, a birth of of the water, and you shall be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, a birth of the Spirit. This is the new birth. And he goes on and says, For the promise is to you, to your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. But to get that promise, you have to believe. You can't receive 
what you don't believe God for. You can't receive the promises that God has offered to you that you don't yet believe. His word says, I have this promise for you. And when you believe and you're obedient, you take action, repenting, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, He does what only He can do. He cleanses us of our sins and He washes us clean and then He fills us with His Spirit just like they received on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 speaking in a language that you do not know just like the people who received the Holy Spirit that day and all throughout the book of Acts. If you have not repented, you can repent today. There's nothing standing in your way. If you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, you can be baptized baptized as soon as you're ready. If you have not received the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, you can receive that. Today you can receive it when you're ready. You can receive it when you believe. And if you have questions about what I'm saying, we can have a Bible study and I can show you the promises God has for you because I want you to have them and experience them. And that's what God intends for you in your life. But going back to my point, there's this gap. In one breath we say God is great. But maybe in the next breath we say I am nobody. We may say that God can do anything in one breath. But then turn around and say God would never do anything with someone like me. We may say that God can overcome any obstacle. But then we turn around and we negatively say bad things happen always to me. Or we say things like I don't deserve anything from God. There's this gap between what God says about us and our lives. And these things do not line up with what the Word of God says. these negative thoughts and these negative statements we make about ourselves, they don't line up with what the Word of God says about you and about I. They represent more how we feel or the way we think things look at the time than what the Word of God says. And if ultimate truth is in the Word of God, then there has to be a closing of that gap where we begin to believe what the Word of God says about us. And it's only in believing and beginning to live on that plane that we allow God to work in our life in the way that He intends to work. Too many believers are unaware of what God has already said about them. And the vast majority do not live up to it. He says we are one thing, but our lives show us to be something else. And this is referred to as the gap. The gap between what he says I am and what I say I am or how I live my life. And there are three different respects to truth. Three different respects to truth. There's the conceptual. There's the propositional. And there's the incarnational. In the Old Testament, the plan of salvation for us through Jesus Christ was conceptual. There was a concept there. It begins in Genesis, whenever it is prophesied to the serpent that his head would be bruised by the heel. And we know this is prophecy about Jesus Christ on the cross. It was conceptual. It was there. The idea was already present with God. 
and it became propositional. God proposed this covenant with man where He would go to a cross. Jesus Christ would go to a cross, pay the price for sins. And if we believe and are obedient, then we enter into a covenant with Him of a new birth covenant. The birth of Jesus took all of what was conceptual and propositional and made it incarnational. It did not happen until Jesus Christ was incarnated. And so what God has conceived and proposed for us, we struggle. This is where we struggle. If we'll admit today, this is our struggle. To incarnate what He has conceptualized for our life and what He has proposed for our life. We struggle to make that reality in our lives. And the problem is not in His declaration. It is completely in our manifestation. How many of us will agree that that is true? My problem is not what God has declared over my life. My problem is my ability to manifest it. We're going to work on closing that gap in our lives. The gap between who He says that we are and what He wants for us, but how we actually live our lives. I want to give you a scriptural example today. Acts chapter 13 is where I'm going. This example of the gap that happens between God's concept of us, what He has proposed for us, and our living it, manifesting it, becoming incarnational in our life. Saul and Barnabas are preaching and teaching on the island of Cyprus. John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, has joined them in their journey to share the gospel. Cyprus was the home of Barnabas, and they were commissioned to go there to deliver the gospel. And so they went from one end of this island, a small island, Cyprus, going from one end back to the other preaching. And they come to a city of Paphos. And in Paphos, in this city, that's where the governor of the Roman province lived, Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus had heard of Saul and Barnabas and desiring to hear the message that they were preaching and teaching. He sent for them and invited them to come meet him. And on that fateful day, as they listened to him and began to preach to him and teach him about Jesus Christ, Sergius Paulus began to believe. He began to believe what they were saying. That Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, but He's not dead. He resurrected. He was resurrected and now is giving out promises that has been offered in Scripture. He begins to believe. But there's a problem. There's a Jewish sorcerer that has his ear named Elimus. Elimus, I'm sorry, I'm saying it wrong. Who kept interfering. He gets in Sergius Paul's Paulus' ear and begins to say to him, no, this, this isn't accurate. He's trying to persuade him against what Paul and Barnabas are teaching and preaching. And Saul and Barnabas know what's happening. They stand back and they watch. Saul finally got sick of it, just got tired of it. Have you ever got sick of someone doing something and you responded in a way that maybe you know wasn't good decorum. You shouldn't have, possibly. Just like, hey, shut up. I'm done with you. 
Go away. Get out of my face. We all do it. I'll admit it. I've done it. I try not to, but I have. Saul got to that point. But at that point, he was anointed by God to directly speak to this interfering Jewish sorcerer. Verse 9 tells us what happened. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit, all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the, way, the straight ways of the Lord? How many of us have ever wanted to say that to someone? I have wanted to say that to someone. And now, indeed, verse 11, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Now, how many of us wanted to blind someone? Okay, only me. All right, well, revealing. Anyway, and immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, I could focus on the blinding of this Jewish sorcerer. I could focus on Saul's reaction. But that's not what I want to talk about. Saul decided he was not going to let this Jewish sorcerer get away with undermining what God was doing in the heart of Sergius Paulus. And so Saul spoke and took action. But there was something different about him speaking and taking action. He wasn't just angry, although he was stirred up. He took action in the authority that God had given him. You've probably never noticed it before when you were reading. But this is the first time Saul, who we know as Paul, is referred to as Paul in Scripture. It's almost just unnoticeable. Saul, who is also called Paul. It's the first time it's ever mentioned. The first time Saul's referred to as the name he would be known from, known by from then on. From here on, he's called Paul. Never again are he and Barnabas referred to as Barnabas and Saul. You go back and read it, study it. They're referred to as Barnabas and Saul. Now they become known as Paul and Barnabas. Paul enters this conflict as just being Saul. He enters this conflict of just being a prophet and a teacher. And a teacher. In Acts chapter 13, 1, it refers to him as a prophet and teacher. Now in the church that was Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul goes into this just being a prophet and a teacher. But on the other side of this experience, when he steps into the full authority that God has placed in his life, he becomes Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Apostle just means he sent. He steps into his role of fulfilling what God had intended for him in the kingdom of God. Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. 
what happened. I want you to hear me. I believe Saul went into this experience living as he saw himself. I'm a teacher. I've been used a little bit in prophecy. I'm a prayer. I'm a man of prayer. I'm a person of prayer. I'm a prophet and a teacher. But God had other plans for him. If you go to Acts chapter 9 and you look at Saul's conversion, God had already conceived and proposed a plan for his life telling Ananias that Saul was a chosen vessel to go before the Gentiles. It happens in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Interestingly enough, Saul is chosen for the Gentiles. But it would be Peter in Acts chapter 10 that's used in presenting the gospel to the first Gentile converts. What was wrong? Paul was not yet living in what God had conceptualized for his life and what God had proposed for his life. There were some things that need to happen to close the gap between what God saw when he looked at Saul and what, God, what Saul thought of himself. Some things needed to change. In Acts chapter 13, we see this shift. For Saul, going from having this conceptual and propositional destiny that God had said, this is who you are, a chosen vessel for the Gentiles, to Saul actually living in his calling. There was a calling wrapped up in that name of Paul. Paul was his given name as a Roman citizen. God did not give him that name. Rome gave him that name. But the transition of his name is a recognition of what God was doing. God was now reaching for the Gentiles. God was now doing something through Saul in his life to reach people that were not reachable by other Jewish members. God was doing something in Paul's life to make him the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul, years later, now walking in his full authority, when he sits down to pen letters to the saints of the church, he can say, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul, the servant of God. He would never be referred to again as Saul. Incidentally, this is Paul's first recorded miracle in his amazing ministry that would be full of miracles. Could it be that Paul finally believed what God had been speaking over him the entire time? You say, but that's Paul, and I'm not Paul. There'll never be another Paul. Paul was, was unique. I want someone to listen to my message today. Before you even believed, God had you. God had a plan for your life. God had you as a chosen vessel with a purpose to live out in His kingdom. He has a plan for every person and every soul. It's not just to make it to heaven, but it is to live now in abundance. And I'm not talking about just an abundance of getting blessings or, you know, the American Christian idea that we're supposed to be blessed, fat, healthy, and wealthy. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a higher purpose that serves the kingdom of God here on earth 
earth. He had a conceptual plan for your life. And when you began to believe, he placed a propositional plan in front of you and said, this is what I'm calling you to. And if you'll trust me and be obedient, then I can take this plan and we can incarnate it in your life. It will be manifest in your life if you will just trust me. It's not done under your own ability. It's only done whenever you surrender completely to God and you begin to live as He intends for you to live in your life. It may be just being a person of continual prayer. There are people that are called to just pray and pray and pray. It may be being called to be a witness before others. It may be being a teacher. It may be being a prophet. It may be being a preacher, a missionary, a pastor. It may be operating in the gifts of the Spirit to the benefit of the kingdom of God and to the church. The word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. It may be something as simple as being the the teacher in a children's class and branches kids that changes someone's life for eternity. But there is a role for you to play. There is a purpose God has for your life. There is something that God has called you to that there is a gap in your life that you need to close and start trusting God that He's calling you to a higher place to fulfill that purpose in your life. Maybe just simply helping to push the mission of a local church forward through something as simple as just cleaning the auditorium. But it is God's plan. And let His will be done in our life. God has a plan and purpose for you. Look at what the Word of God already says about you in just one verse. And there are many, many, many verses that speak to his people. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Under the law of Moses, royalty and the priesthood, they were separated from everyone else. Everyone else was considered common, but they were separate. They were distinct. It was an honored thing to be in the royal priesthood. It was an uncommon thing. Few people, few people got to experience what it was. But because Jesus Christ went to a cross and called you into a new life through a new birth experience, He says, you, you're not common. You are separated to me for my purpose that I would see that I would be proclaimed in the praises what a beautiful thing but the question i have for you today is that how you see yourself is that how you see yourself is that how you live your life as his own special people are you doing everything that you can to fulfill God's purpose and plan in your life are you working to close that gap we're going to work on closing that gap over the next few weeks and I believe some people are going to step into a new dimension of calling that God has on your life 
Some things are going to open up to you and open up for you. I'm praying that every day, and I'm believing that every day for you. But first, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? You say, well, that's, that's kind of elitist if I think of myself as something special. I'm not talking about you thinking under your own ability that you are something special. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is accepting what God sees and God says when he looks at you and speaks about your life. A number of years ago, and I'm getting ready to, to end, a number of years ago, I was struggling with what God was calling me in my life to do. I'd went through a, a couple of years of setback and I was, didn't feel like I was working toward a calling that I'd felt on my life from a younger age. And there was one night that I had this dream and it shook me, it stirred me. Some of you have heard this dream before, heard about it. God was really working me over about trusting Him and stepping out in faith, taking action in a very, very radical way. And I was resisting. Does anybody, can, can anyone say you've been there? God is challenging you. And you're resisting. Why? Because of fear, because you just don't feel like you can't do that. You, you're not equipped enough. You're not talented enough. You're not the right person for it. Whatever it is, I was there. And I was wrestling. And I was resisting. I remember this night I had this dream. A friend of mine, a good, good friend of mine, who's now has gone on to be with the Lord. In this dream, I went to hear him preach. He was a preacher. We were both young preachers together, kind of coming up. He was a year older than me. And in this dream, I go, I go to see him preach. I just want to see my friend and hear him preach a message. And he preaches this great message about the miracles of God and the workings of God. And, and I just remember it just being a great, great message. And, you know, they had the, had the altar call. This was pre-COVID, so everybody just came to the front, gathered around. No one was worried about it. And so I went up to support my friend. That's the reason I went up there. I went to support my friend. I thought the message was great. At the time, I really didn't feel like, you know, I don't need a miracle. I'm not looking for an answer of healing or anything else, although I was looking for an answer. And so I, in the dream, I go up to the front. And after a while, you know, he, he sees me. He wants to talk to me. He comes over. He puts his arm around me. When he does, we chit-chat for a little bit. Like, man, that's a great message. It's so good to see you. I, I had to come see my friend. You're so close. And in the dream, I'll never forget, he says this. He starts to walk away, and he turns, and he says this to me. He said, you believe God. You believe God. But your challenge is, your problem is, you don't believe God will through you. And he walked away. And I woke up immediately. And I knew, I knew exactly what God was trying to communicate to me in my life. I believed God. I believed God for miracles. I believed God could do signs and wonders. I believed God would heal. I believed God would answer. I believed all of the things about God that God said he could do. 
But I did not necessarily believe that God would in me or through me or in my life. And that is the gap that some of us live in. We believe God, but whenever we ask, we, we don't really ask in faith because there's this, there's this gap. God can do this, but will He do it in me? I'm reminded of a person who comes to Jesus, a blind man, and he says, I know you can. You can heal the blinded eye, but will you for me? And Jesus did. Jesus healed him. But that statement has always struck me. It's indicative of how we often approach God. I know you can, but I'm just not sure that you will in me. I'm not sure you will for me. And I want to tell someone today, it's time for you to close that gap between what God sees that He can do in you, wants to do in you, will do in you, the purpose He has for your life, the promises that He has for your life. For some of us, it may be receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. For some of us, it may be stepping into that ministry that God has for you. For some of us, it may be living on purpose in our life. It's time to close that gap. And it starts with you seeing yourself as He sees you. And I want us to join together in prayer today. You can stand with me. I want us to pray, God, give me heavenly eyes. Help me to see myself as you see me. God, help me to not just see myself as the person who failed last month or failed last year or has this horrible sin that I feel like is still hanging over me or this thing where I let you down. God, help me to see myself as you see me, as forgiven, as walking upright before you, as having a purpose in your kingdom, of being that person that walks in the Spirit, trusting you day in and day out, not just getting a little bump on Sunday to make it through the the rest of the week, but living in the authority and the power that you've placed in my life. Help me, Lord. Help me. Why don't we begin to pray that right now? Whatever that prayer is for your life, why don't you pray that right now? You know what it is because God's already been calling you and dealing with you about closing and stepping up a little bit higher and trusting Him a little bit more, leaning unto Him. Why don't you pray that prayer right now? They're going to begin to sing. Let's take a moment and let the Spirit of God move in this place. Lord, you see every person. You see right where they're at their spiritual wall. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help them draw them closer. Lord, we can't do it under our own power. We need you, Jesus. We need an understanding of who you say that we are. And then God, give me the fortitude to walk in that. God, give me the strength to be obedient in that. Give me the faith, Lord, to believe that you will do what you said you would do. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you pray with the Lord for just a moment.